to the Tennessee on Supply Chain Management podcast. Listen in as co-hosts Ted Stank and Tom Goldsby take a leap onto the ships of supply chain, crowd surf into the long lines of meeting holiday demand, and wade into the depths of warehouse inventory buildup. They'll cover all the relevant and current topics blocking the canal of your minds and discuss industry issues that keep you up at night. If you enjoy the show, download and subscribe to Tennessee on Supply Chain Management, wherever you listen to podcasts. Without further ado, let's begin our show, where you'll hear what you'd least expect from the people you want to hear it from the most. Our co-hosts, Ted and Tom. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the second episode in 2023 of Tennessee on Supply Chain Management. We've got a really interesting program from you today. We are actually recording live with two student organizations at University of Tennessee, the Nexus Women in Supply Chain Student Group, as well as the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals Student Roundtable here at UT. Tom and I, like usual, are going to talk about some current events that are happening in the supply chain world, and then we're going to transition to our guests, a group of our students who are leaders in these programs and are about to transition out of here into full-time jobs and get their perspective on their education, on their work experiences and internships, their full-time jobs, what we all as educators and you all as practitioners who've hired them as interns have done well and maybe not so well, and just get their thoughts as they become the future leaders of our profession. Tom, what do you got? Hey, I'm really excited about today's podcast because you think about all the great things we do here at UT, but producing a great product, I think, is what draws the world and their interest in our program, right? It's the product in the It's not, it's not us? Well, it, it, you've got a magnanimous personality. You're, you're quite the draw yourself, Professor Stank, but I do think it's what you do in the classroom that certainly raises the bar and generates so much enthusiasm. But hey, we've got a little ground to cover before we get to those students. I want to tell you a funny story sure. about that, though. So when I first got to University of Tennessee 20 years ago, we had the Supply Chain Forum. I think we had 12 firms. And we used to focus a lot on what faculty were doing, and we had 12 firms that were interested enough to come. We realized we did a, a lot of introspection. We did some value research, like what's valuable to our potential market there of companies that could join our forum. And they gave us a resounding, we want to come get access to your students. We're like, well, what about our cool research? We want to get access to your students. Today, we have north of 80 supply chain partners, so I think it's maybe our students. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Say it. I think it's the students that's the real draw. But hey, you're you're a part of that. You're a critical part of it. Well, the research feeds. We the were smart enough to realize that it wasn't us. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, let's uh, before we introduce our guests, let's cover some news and notes here. Certainly, a lot going on since our last podcast. Probably the biggest news in industry has been, you know, obviously teetering around recession. Are we heading that way or not? Uh, it's been interesting. A lot of economists, I think the lion's share suggested that we could probably expect recession later this year. And if you look at big tech layoffs, it would certainly suggest that, right? I mean, all these companies that virtually doubled in size and employment during COVID are now shedding it by tens of thousands, uh, each one of them. What's your read? I mean, was that just some excess fat that needed to be cut or uh, are they looking at dark days ahead? I mean, Tech is big, right? Everybody pays attention to tech. They're all the sexy companies, you know, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Netflix, all those folks. But they're still, I can't remember, I think they're like 5 or 6% of our total gross domestic product. I think that they hit a ridiculous upswing in demand during COVID. And like so many companies, they think that a seasonal trend is a forever trend. Right. So they hired like crazy 
particularly in data science and analytics type jobs. And guess what? Seasonal trends aren't forever trends. Yeah. And things backed off. We're not watching as much Netflix as we did. We're not buying as many home delivery Amazon products as we did during COVID. And demand has softened. And so they're laying off a lot of, particularly on the tech side. I would be surprised to find that Amazon still wasn't here at our job fairs hiring supply chain students into operational jobs. You know, that's something I think about. I I tend to have a a bias, I have to admit, right at the outset, that I I tend to favor companies that make stuff. And so I think you lose tabs. There's there's a lack of accountability for what someone does in a thinking person's role, if you will, and the value they're creating. And I think they just grew, 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 expected the ticker to grow, 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 and they stopped and looked around. And as you that said, said, I have one of my sons is a data scientist who works for AWS, and he's working on like cool algorithms for app for Amazon Music. You know, like if you go to Spotify and you listen to a few songs, and they'll suggest things to you. Amazon has a minuscule part of the market share, and what they realized was they don't have a good algorithm for that. So he's working on that. He went to work for them in December of 2022. <laughs> and all these layoffs get announced, and he's freaking out. I'm like, you know what? The worst thing that can happen is you can come work for a real company that makes something, and they need data scientists too like crazy. You know? So you're saying now, when I listen to Amazon Music, it won't say if you like... You know, Toby Keith, here's Spandau Ballet or yeah, something. Or they by the way, they don't know. They have no idea. <laughs> Look it up. Well, very good. So, so, so to get back to the original question, I don't think that we can look at big tech and what's happening with them as a harbinger of what's going to happen with go. the broader economy. Yeah, we, we agree with that. We were talking a little bit before we started recording, and I think we've got some data that don't exactly line up in terms of what lay ahead. I, I tend to be optimistic. I've shared that in previous podcasts because I pay attention to consumers and their spending. And it's still been very robust. Granted, there's some shift from physical goods, products to, to more services and travel and all that cool stuff. But I think it's still been pretty robust, maybe a lot more of it moving toward credit uh, rather than cash. But I look at the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index, which is maybe the best thing that ever came out of the University of Michigan. I think we can all agree and it's not that good. I wish we could attribute it to some other institution, but <laughs> yeah, okay. anyway. Okay. Well, they've been doing it. It's certainly decades. not Tom Brady. What's amazing is that their fall readings, going back in the months of October, November, were like the lowest readings that they've had in the 50 plus years they've been doing this. And I'm like, really? You and I lived through the, the Great Recession. Students in the room also may, may remember that as well. And the current readings have been below. The Great Recession levels. And, and so sentiment is gone, but meanwhile, spending's robust. Now, you want to counter that, I think. Yeah, I do want to counter that. Um, it's really tough to figure out consumer spending. I, I want to look more at business-to-business type things. So is it, uh, the but who's at the end of the chain, Stank? Who's at the end of the chain? It is the consumer. 70% of that. that's going to go to consumers. But they're diabolical, according they to Professor Tom Gold. Yeah, they so. are. The Institute of Supply Management has two different indices. One of them is the uh, Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index, and the other one is the Services Purchasing Managers Index. They do a survey monthly of purchasing managers who are buying goods and purchasing managers who are buying services and get their sense of whether they're ordering more or less. 
50 on the index is like break even. If you're above 50, then you're ordering more than you did before. And if you're below 50, you're ordering less. Both of those indices are in the below 50. In fact, manufacturing is 48.4 down from 49 in November. That was a December reading. And down from 58.8 a year ago, December of 21. The services index is 44.7 in December. It's up a little bit from November, but it's still pretty low. So that says that folks that are out there buying the stuff that consumers buy, they're cutting back. Yeah, but Stank, you point out this bullwhip effect, right? Show of hands with students. You know the bullwhip effect, right? Every hand's gone up, my imagination anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And the situation is they spent the entirety of 2022 buying, buying, buying. Hence all those ships bringing everything in and transporting all over. So I think we've still got to burn that inventory down. Even after the holidays, I think there's still a bit of excess inventory out there. So, hence, that's why the businesses, I think, are buying a little bit less. Okay, I'll buy that. You like to talk about GDP growth. I do. Tom and I are not economists, but we've stayed at Holiday Inn Express. I'm an undergrad economist. Are you an undergrad economist? Yeah, I took one course in economics. The GDP in fourth quarter of 22 grew by 2.9%, which beat economists' expectations. That's a good thing, right? However, if you decompose that number... 1.5% of it was industry restocking because we'd been at historically low levels of inventory in the summertime. Now we're building inventory levels. So nobody's buying that. Your consumers aren't buying it. We're restocking. And I think like 0.6% of that growth was government spending. Very little of it was consumer spending, but it was. Positive number. Still positive number. Okay. You know, we don't know. Nobody knows. You know, you can do a nose count of economists who say we're going into recession and some of them are saying we're not. I think it'll be a limited recession by industry segment. Yeah, I think it's going to be hit or miss. It's going to be spot. And, and, you know, we were trying to make big predictions on our last podcast. Maybe those things haven't yet, you know, taken shape enough for us to say just how right I was and how wrong you, you probably are going to be. But <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. Only time will tell. Uh, Let's transition a little bit to the labor situation and start getting some media requests around the prospects of UPS striking this summer. I mean, that's months away. July 31 is when that contract expires, but we're already getting nervous about that one. Yeah, you know, labor contracts, especially with big employers like UPS, are thorny issues. And so you have to start thinking about them early. And I guarantee you there's conversations going on so that they're identifying what are the big sticking points. Another labor issue, the West Coast ports. We talked about it all last summer. The West Coast Longshore Organization, they're working without a contract and have been since September, I think. That has not been resolved. That could be crippling to the economy. You know, the economy just rolls along, but there's external things that can happen to it that could push it one way or the other. Tom, you track a lot of different transportation costs. What's going on there before we move to our guests? Yeah, no, transportation costs, we're starting to see things settle down. It's starting to look a lot more like 2019, those innocent days of 2019 pre-pandemic. And whether we're looking at volumes and pricing, it seems to be settling down quite a bit, whether you're on the ocean, in the air, on the ground. So things are starting to to settle down a bit. I know that uh, the carriers are a little bit nervous that they put a lot of extra capacity in operation, they're getting really nervous, but uh, I think things are looking more. And I mean, all those transportation costs, fuel costs, etc., all roll into that inflation number. Inflation seems to be coming down today. For those of you listening on the podcast, is a Tuesday in late January. Tomorrow, Wednesday, first of February, the Fed is going to meet to decide what they're going to do with interest rates. I am predicting 
0.25. Quarter point, yeah, quarter I think point. so. I yep. hope that's where we are because yep. inflation. Which is, is a, a sign of progress, right? Yeah. It shows that their measures have been taken effect and we can still increase the rate, but taper it back a lot. Taper it back, yeah. yeah. So with that, let's do a shift to talent. We have three very talented individuals here. I'm going to let them uh, introduce themselves. Tell us where you're going come May. Jack, you want to start with you? Sure, Ted. So my name is Jack Parr. I'm a senior here in the Housing College of Business supply chain major, and I'll be going to Procter & Gamble this July to work on the inventory team doing data analytics. All right. Very good cool. deal. My name's Haley. Uh, I'm studying supply chain management and business analytics, and I'll be going to Dallas to work for HF Sinclair. I'll be in a rotational role, and I'll be starting in internal audit. So a little bit different than what I've been studying, but I think it'll be great. I'm excited. All right, to finish us off, I'm Lillian, Lillian Chen. I am studying supply chain management with a concentration in business analytics and a minor in data science. And I'll be heading over to KPMG to do procurement and outsourcing consulting up in Chicago. Tom, do you see a theme across these three? I see several themes. <laughs> data analytics? <laughs> I see data analytics. I'm thinking, gee, they're, they're a lot sharper than I was as a graduating undergrad and have, have better prospects from what I can tell. But uh, that's Data that's analytics for me was a TI-55 calculator when I was <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget your batteries. Yeah. So, yeah, as, as Ted indicated, these are three uh, student leaders about ready to head out the door. And again, you know, here, here it has them. I tend to view the students as our product and the market out there as our customers. I think as soon as you start viewing the students as customers, you're not serving them very well. So we're very proud of the product that's heading out the door here. And as indicated, leaders of CSCMP and Nexus, uh, some really dynamic organizations uh, that we have here on campus. And Again, really exciting to hear about what's in store for your not-so-distant future. Granted, it wasn't all that long ago you were looking to secure your jobs. And the question that we probably hear more than any other when we're out and about is, what is it that students are looking for in an employer? And so as you were conducting the job search, what was it that was particularly appealing to you and maybe helped seal the deal with your respective. And I'm pretty certain that these students all had probably multiple Well, I'm sure they did. Too. I'm sure they did, yeah. Well, I'll start off and say that um, all of us had internships, and Haley and Jack were very fortunate in the sense that they loved their internship to the point that they wanted to go ahead and sign a full-time deal with So them. you're signing on with the companies you intern with? Right? Yes. In case of Haley and Jack. Cool. So I am not so rare, but, you know, it happens where I decide to go in a different direction. And for me, it was just about value alignment. I loved the internship I had, but I wanted something that was a little bit more, a little bit more dynamic in terms of what I was doing and the opportunities. I wanted to see more industries. I'm young. There's abundance of opportunities out there, and I haven't seen them all. So that's where consulting came, you know, as a great opportunity for me. So I was looking specifically for consulting roles. And don't sell yourself short, Lily, and there's not a lot of our undergrads directly into consulting jobs. So uh, that's pretty impressive to be going with KPMG. I might be talking out of school, but I think the statistic is something like 60 to 70 percent of students who do an internship end up at least getting an offer from the company they did an internship with. I don't know what the acceptance rate of going to work for them, but I'm sure it's pretty big. A lot of our employers use internships as their recruiting strategy. They would rather get to know you over a summer then get to know you over a series of 45-minute interviews. Exactly. And likewise, by the way, yeah, really <laughs> you get a better sense of the company. That's it. That's it. So maybe this takes us back to your selection of your internship as much as it did signing on with your intern employer 
But Jack, if we can turn to you, what was it that really ultimately maybe drew you to P&G and what were the qualities you were seeking in an employer? Yeah, I think there's two things for me. One is a chance to make an impact right away. And I really felt that in the internship program and will continue to be able to do that in my full-time role. They really give you meaningful projects, a lot of projects um, where you're presenting in front of leadership, you're making a real difference on your team. And that's an exciting opportunity for me to grow in my career early on. And then the second thing to me was the people and the culture fit. And every company talks about their culture. But for me, that's something you can really feel early on in the interview, in the application process, and and be confident walking in that you're going to be a good fit and that you're going to enjoy your time at at work every day, which to me was a big one and one of the big reasons that I'm returning to the company after college. Did you go to work every day into the office? So after sophomore year, I actually did two internships with P&G. Sophomore year, I was in a distribution center every day. Yeah. And then uh, last summer, it was a 2-3 hybrid. So Tuesdays and Wednesdays, we were in the office. Monday, Thursday, Friday, we had the option to work remote. Let's table that, but I want to get your thoughts on that as we go along. Haley, your experience in terms of choosing an internship company? Yes, so I actually didn't know about HF Sinclair. The old president of Nexus interned with them and recommended I talk to the vice president of procurement. We really hit it off. He went to Tennessee. He was in the same program that my mom was in, transportation and logistics, which is now the supply chain department. So I ended up taking it kind of like in a leap of faith. I always knew I wanted to go to Texas and Dallas specifically, and it just ended up being great. And I think one of the biggest things was the diverse workforce. So a lot of diversity of age, gender, race, experience, and that made working with everyone you know, exciting. You have people from all different backgrounds giving their input on things. And I think a team is a lot more productive when you you have a diverse workforce. So that was huge for me and one of the big reasons why I'm going back. So those were the positives and you two ended up going to work for the companies you interned with. So obviously they did most things right. Lillian, you did not. Don't tell us who you interned with, but what did you dis... I mean, obviously I understand why the attraction to a consulting company is different, but were there things that turned you off during your internship? I think overall there was an immense respect for authority, almost to a fault. I felt scared to approach my supervisor or even someone above my supervisor to give my thoughts, give my opinion. When we presented at the end to leadership, there was a lot of pressure put on the interns. It wasn't, we're trying to evaluate you, you as a person, and see if you're a culture fit. It was almost like it was a performance. And so all those things detracted me from wanting to go back to that company. I mean, cultures are huge. Jack, you brought up culture. Haley, you talked about culture. If you are talented enough and you've applied yourself enough to have multiple choices, to me, culture is what swings it. You go to work with these folks, you spend a lot of time with them. Traditionally, you spent, I don't know, 60, 70% of your waking hours at work. I mean, you better like the culture, people that you can kind of hang with and enjoy, not just working with, but even social. I think there's point to be made too that the more options you have the more likely you're going to have an option within that selection right and and so I think that's to some extent I know you all worked really hard you had internships and some of you Jack I know uh, because you worked in the department you know the quandary this is so difficult I've got to make a decision and meanwhile that's why you work so hard is to be presented with that tough decision. I thought Jack's tough decision was whether he was going to go to uh, Baton Rouge for the LSU game. (laughs) That wasn't too tough. (laughs) Sunburn and all that he came back with. It was all worth it, I I gather. But I think you were wanting to talk uh, about the nature of the work and where that was conducted. Yeah, I'd I'd love to hear y'all's opinions on the the whole work at home versus work at the office thing. 
we had some folks who graduated during COVID and had really different insights on it than you might have thought they would have had. If you go to work in some city that you've never been in before, you don't have friends there, you think you're going to go to work with a bunch of people, and instead you stay home for months at a time, they felt really isolated. Interesting to, to get your take. Haley, what do you think? Yeah, I can start this off. I'm very passionate about this. So I had an internship that was remote and then an internship that was fully in person. And there is truly no comparison, especially when you're starting at a company. Being in person it's just completely different than being online. And my opinion will probably change in like six months when I don't want to wake up early and get ready. But I think being in person is really great. When you're starting off, you're able to just go to someone's cubicle and ask a question. You can go and get coffee and overhear a conversation about the company or about a project going on. So I feel like you you learn a lot more about what's going on in your organization when you are in person. I enjoyed going every day this summer. Hopefully, I, I keep enjoying going, you know, when I started in July. Now, Haley, were you five days a week in the office? Yes, I was. And then Fridays, you know, get off around 3 p.m. So. Lillian, you got some thoughts on this? <laughs> so I was in the office three days a week, and I personally really liked that. I don't even think it's a matter of person versus in-person. When students are looking for opportunities, I think it's a matter about the flexibility. Are you even capable of working remotely if you wanted to? Are you capable of coming in if you wanted to? I don't like the stagnant, you have to or you have yeah. or you can't. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, that's also what I was looking for a lot in terms of a prospective company. Yeah, I definitely think a hybrid approach is the way to go. It enables you to take the advantage of both worlds. Like I, I get so much, now it depends on what your home scenario is like, right? My kids are all gone. I have a pretty quiet home. I can work at home. Some people can't. Uh, many of you know Lance Saunders. He comes in every day because he's got kids and dogs and all kinds of stuff at home and he can't get anything done there. But if you have a quiet place to work, I get a lot more work done at home than I do at the office. But I don't do any of the really important socializing that you get out of work and getting to know people. Hey, I have this opportunity, Lily, and are you interested in this? And I happen to know you because we've gone to lunch together and I trust you, you know, and you lose a lot of that part. Yeah, I completely agree, Ted. I, I'm a huge fan of the hybrid model and, and having done all three in my college career, actually all at home in the office every day and then hybrid, I think it's a perfect mixture of being able to, to go in, build those relationships during the week. And then having that flexibility on maybe Mondays and Fridays to travel um, I was able to come down to Knoxville and watch the volunteers and the Super Regionals last summer. Just great opportunities that you can do with that and still, you know, making a big impact at work and having a perfect mixture uh, is what I think the hybrid model provides. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if you have the hybrid model, it does mean you have to move to that city, right? You know, you're not going to fly mm-hmm. in. And so then you get into, if you're a knowledge worker and you could live anywhere in the country, is that what you want to do? And so I mean, there's a lot of really interesting questions associated. Yeah, I do seem to hear, though, what, what Haley expressed routinely in terms of onboarding is really difficult with any sort of remote or even a hybrid. It it certainly can be much more accelerated if you can be in person and get to know the people. And And at the end of the day, and I'd like to take this into another question, at the end of the day, we are humans. And humans, most of us, not everybody, some people really like to be alone, but most humans, and I find that particularly supply chain management humans like to interact with other people. I see Mary Long in the back. I know that's true of you, Mary, because we've interacted a lot in various places. And so if, if you don't have those networking opportunities, I think it can potentially limit your options as you move your career forward. Talk to me about how the three of you have utilized networking opportunities 
while you were students and also, you know, in your internships and going out into the full-time world? Because there's networking opportunities here as a student, right? You just go to class, do really well, but don't participate in anything else. Or you could do it the way you guys have done it. Yeah, I'd say networking here is what sets the UT supply chain department above its competition. Is just the, the many opportunities that we have outside of class to get exposed to the industry early on. And that would be probably my biggest piece of advice related to networking is getting out there early, going to the career fair, going to Scholars of Distinction events, um, getting to talk to companies that are looking for us to come in and make an impact. So just getting that experience early on will open up so many doors for our careers in college and then, and then after as well. But Jack, it's pretty mind-blowing that you interned with P&G, which is routinely regarded as one of the best supply chain companies, one of the best companies in, in total, after your sophomore year? Yes, that's right. I mean, you certainly must have fast-tracked your networking to make that happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I was able to get a co-op after my freshman year with a smaller company. Getting that experience, whatever company it's with, I, I think opens uh, a lot of doors, which was the, the case for me. And I'm very grateful you know, for the opportunity to then go forward with P&G from there. And Haley, you lead the Nexus organization. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about Nexus and maybe how that fits into your networking strategy? Yes. So Nexus is passionate about connecting women in supply chain. So that's our main focus is bringing in companies and having women representatives talk about their day-to-day life challenges they, they deal with, and then creating that network between students and the employee representatives from those companies, which is huge. The network that I've built through Scholars of Distinction, Nexus, Employer of the Day. Those have been companies that we can bring in and have them speak at events. Uh, We have Bridgestone coming in March. Trimble's coming. Trimble reached out to us directly because they wanted to work with our women's group, and they had some great women representatives that they wanted to come speak to us. As the president of our CSCMP chapter here, of course, CSCMP is an organization that Ted and I have been plugged into for multiple decades, and and, uh, I haven't missed a CSMP conference since 95. What about you? Until two years ago, I had not missed one since 91, but CSMP happened to start scheduling while I was with our executive MBAs in Europe, so I've missed two out of the last three. But Lily, can you share with us how being president of CSMP has provided you with some working opportunities, maybe above and beyond what you'd get in the classroom? You know, I'll say what Haley said was she represented that perfectly, being able to communicate with companies just by having them come into the university and speak to our students. You really build a relationship with them. I would say, packing on top of that, just having the title president of Nexus, president of CSCMP, people who come in, high-level executives, high-level supply chain executives, they perk up a little bit. You said that there is a talent shortage. And they just discovered their talent right there. Same thing with all the other executives and all the other really enthusiastic members of our organization. So if you told me three years ago when I first got to college, I'd be friends with the CEO of the South Carolina Port Authority or the VP of supply chain at Shaw Industries, I would say, no way, that's never going to happen. But here I am. I talk to them every once in a while and they've given me some really great advice. And for the most part, they're pretty cool people, right? They're oh, one thousand I think the amazing realization for the students in the room is they are just you 20 years ago or, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. So should we turn a little bit inward uh, a little bit? Uh, again, we're so proud of, of you as student leaders and, and uh, proud of what you're going to do uh, for those organizations. And don't forget about us, by the way, when you, 
when you're out there. Don't forget about Rocky Top. But what drew you to UT and perhaps the supply chain program? If we can talk about your journey a little bit. Yeah, how many of you knew that you were going to be a supply chain major? Or what a supply yeah. chain what was. Supply- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I did, yes. Because you're... My mom went to Tennessee. Yeah. Both of her sisters did, so both of my aunts. Oh. Um, yeah, so have like a long lineage. Uh, and my mom was in the transportation and logistics program, which is now the supply chain management program. It doesn't sound like you had a choice. It <laughs> was good, though. Like okay. It worked out for the best because I didn't know what I wanted to go into. And so I was like, I'll just copy my mom. Like She ended up great. I'll just do what she did. <laughs> and so it's worked out well. Lillian, you made a face like you had no idea, right? Well, I was going to say, I wasn't lucky enough to have Haley's wonderful lineage. I had no idea what supply chain was. I would come in as a freshman. People would ask me, and I said, I am just as clueless as you. And then something happened. COVID happened. And I worked in a healthcare company that summer when COVID was still happening. And it changed my perspective completely. It was the most fascinating experience. And I was actually on a project where we were trying to transport vaccines to South America and all the logistics surrounding that. It was the most tedious process, but it was so, so rewarding getting to see the inside scoop. And impactful. It was impactful. Yeah, yeah. The, world, the world realized what we do during COVID. I mean, before I'll talk to people and they'd have a blank look on their face when I said supply chain management. Now they know how we screwed them over. Yeah. They don't know exactly what it is we do, but we, they know what happens when we fail. Yeah. So. And let me tell you one more thing. Yeah, you used to just kind of run away from you. You'd be in a social setting it's like, supply chain and now, now they gravitate it's just amazing but jack, jack what's your yeah what's your story yeah so for me my campus tour here at ut was actually when i decided on supply chain and i think the two went hand in hand going to tennessee and majoring in supply chain both my tour guides were in the major and told me about the awesome experience that they've had here it didn't hurt that it was a beautiful friday afternoon in september as well but it's it's easily the best decision i've, I've ever made rewarding experience and i couldn't imagine it any other way I, you got to give other programs their due for one week in the fall, the football team was ranked even with us, number one. And right now the basketball team is kind of on comparison with us, ranked number two. But we are number one in graduate programs, number two in undergrad, which I think is BS. But sorry, Arkansas. I don't think <laughs> we got a lot of listeners in Arkansas. So but also there are some places you go that don't have beautiful days upon which to take tours. We've been on faculty at some of those places. So, uh, again, we're really pleased that you're about to complete your studies here, do those great things out in the world. But we're always looking to improve here at Rocky Top as well. So help us out a little bit. If, if there are things that we could, we could work upon or challenges that you had as a student, you know, whether it was something within the major or even beyond, but I mean, what, what is something that you think maybe our program, maybe the university, or maybe academics you know, needs to adjust to make you have an even more worthwhile experience when you're on campus? So for me, I think the answer is getting involved or exposed earlier in the classroom to supply chain. You know, while I love taking class with Ted and Lance Saunders junior year as my introductory supply chain course, I think that would be awesome if we were able to do that our sophomore year, even earlier. I think that would be a great way just to go into those interviews for internships with a little bit of knowledge already established. So that would be maybe my one recommendation. Um, There's things we're working on in the department, actually. We just created a Canvas course. It's a supply chain certification where young students can learn about the major, about the program early in their college career. So, you know, doing more things like that, exposing the curriculum earlier would be my answer. And, you know, we are building more and more and more online content, so we need to really leverage that. Yeah, going off of that, I think the ability to take more supply chain classes, 
Jack and I are both in a planning class right now and our professor's out. So we have had the opportunity to have one new professor come in and she has just been amazing. And I wish I had the opportunity to take a class with her. And unfortunately, you know, now it's my last semester and I can't. So having classes earlier and then the ability to take more supply chain courses would be great. And I would say I 100% agree with Jack and Haley. And something that's helped me a lot is this peer-to-peer networking. Jack's worked in consumer goods. Haley's worked in oil and construction equipment. I've worked in healthcare and telecommunications. We've all had very robust and diverse careers in supply chain, even now as, as students. So even learning from peers has been a wonderful process. Going off of that, I think the organizations should have a greater presence within the supply chain department. Not that we're biased or anything, but I've seen the benefit personally, and I've tried to cultivate more benefits through my time as president, and I'm sure Haley has as well. I'd like to see the faculty really promote student organizations. And I think the student organizations are a great way to learn more about supply chain when you don't have those classes. Like freshman year and sophomore year, going to Nexus's CSEMP events, I was able to learn about supply chain from employees that actually work in the industry. Yeah, so students have access to those organizations as soon as they step on campus, Mm -hmm. right? So there's no need to wait until you're deep into the major to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, Tom, Casey's given us the high sign here that we're we're going long, and our listeners, our podcast listeners are going to start falling asleep. (laughs) Could I just end this by saying, what do you think, 10 years before these three become chief supply chain officers? Super impressive what the three of you have done in your time here and totally expect that that's going to continue. You all are superstars. So with that, Tom, you got any closing notes? No, just reiterate again, we're so proud of these students and, and, and countless others that, that we send out in the, in the world. Uh, you know, Not only do we try to be the biggest major on campus, we try to be the best major as well. And I think we've uh, got some exemplary product right here. And, and again, you're going to go out and set the world on fire and Again, don't forget about us on the Rocky Top once you're out there. But to everyone that's out there listening, don't forget that you can also stay in touch with Rocky Top. Don't forget you can reach us at gsci at utk.edu. Happy to take your comments, questions, suggestions. Uh, We're open for business. Yeah, I think we're still waiting for those comments or suggestions. (laughs) So you folks in here, if you want to do that, send us. (laughs) All right. Until next time, we'll see you all. listening to Tennessee on supply chain management. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe via your favorite listening platform, such as iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear from our listeners. Leave a reply in our show notes at gscipodcast.com or email your questions to gsci at utk.edu. Join us next time in our pursuit to prove that supply chain management is more fun than you think.